child of God have in my hand the powerful word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and just say, man, you've never looked better. Y'all aren't doing it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, man, you never look better. Don't make a liar out of me. Come on. Those Bibles you held up, we're going to be in John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21 in our series, Amen, Amen. Several times throughout the book of John, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, or truly, truly, I say unto you. And so those are the statements that we're kind of looking at this during this series. Because each of those verily, verily, or truly, trulys carry a very powerful teaching. So we're going to look at another one today. Jesus was the master teacher. He would ask questions in relation to a question. He was really good at it. Kind of like mothers are. Mothers have a lot of Jesus in them. Because as a kid, when you were in trouble, your mother would know the right questions to ask to get you in more trouble. And if you lied to her, you were in a lot more trouble than if you told the truth. So Jesus, in our text, we see a great instruction. And it starts out with an instruction to a very powerful spiritual man. His name is Nicodemus. And there's several things that we know about Nicodemus. And we want to enter the divine teacher's classroom and glean how he would handle someone who needed a personal relationship with him. I believe with all of my heart that God wants you and me to lead someone before we leave this earth to Jesus Christ, to help them lead them to salvation. Now here's the great news. You may not be the one that says the words to them. You may not even be in the room where they are when it happens. It may happen all across the world, on the other side of the world. But it's because of your giving, it's because of your prayers, those people are coming to the Lord. Do you realize that in Iraq, it's the fastest growing Christian church movement in the world in Muslim-led Iraq. Are you excited about that? Man, I am. (laughs) They're coming. Coming in droves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they do it at their own peril. They do it at their own peril. But they are, are willing to come and no matter what they face. But there's three things I want you to see from our text this morning. We're going to break it up into three little sections. First, we want to talk about the conversation. The conversation that Nicodemus and Jesus had. In verses 1 
through 13. And if you have your Bibles there, let's read them together. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, verily, 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 I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I want you to circle that verse in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, whatever you do in your Bible, because that's a key verse in our text today. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, Verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have a second time when Jesus puts an emphasized verse in for us. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Verily, verily, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, let's break this down. Verse 1, we want to look at the character of Nicodemus. Look, look, look how he was. First of all, he was a ruler. Probably a member of the Sanhedrin. If you look at John seven fifty one, that will help you understand that. Uh, he was among the most powerful men of his day. He would be, in our modern day, uh, vernacular much like a person on the Supreme Court is held with high regard and carries a lot of uh, influence we also know that he was a religious man uh, he was a Pharisee <clears throat> so he had to be a religious person uh, adhered to the strictest of uh, religious and ethical standards uh, not all Pharisees were hypocrites now, many were Jesus addressed them very clearly about that. Some actually did their best to live before the Lord. I think Nicodemus was one of those. Then the third thing we notice in verse 1 is that he was real. His approach to Jesus comes from a sincere heart, searching for truth. He was a man who wanted to find true peace for his soul. He was a searcher, a seeker, and he wanted to know. And he was real. You know when somebody's phony. But Nicodemus was real. And I don't mind somebody asking me questions. In fact, I like it when somebody does ask me questions. Not necessarily during the worship hour. uh, Though some people like to do that as well. But later, after the time that we have for preaching, I, I don't mind questions. I'm not afraid of a question. I'm not afraid if you disagree with me on a verse of Scripture. That's not a problem. You can be wrong. It's not a problem. We had a professor that always said, you're entitled to your own opinion even though you are wrong. But that's probably how I should have said that. Verse 2. 
the compliment of Nicodemus. Two things he did. He addressed Jesus with respect. He called him rabbi. Referred to him as teacher. It appears that he was holding Jesus in a high regard. And then the second thing we notice is that he addresses Jesus with a realization. It appears that Nicodemus at least understood that Jesus had been sent from God to this world. And it seems that at least he had a vague understanding of who Jesus really is. And the third thing I want you to notice is that he addressed Jesus with human reasoning. Nicodemus is giving Christ honor and is displaying respect for the power of Christ that he has seen. He's probably seen miracles. He's probably witnessed some of those. But he stops too short in his estimation of who Jesus really is. He sees him more of a teacher instead of a Savior. And we need to see him as the Savior. And so Jesus is going to take him to the level where he sees Jesus in the right way. Because when we become a Christian, we should represent Christ. Amen? He should be in us. If the CIA had recruited you to go to China and to work behind the scenes in China doing espionage work, you would go to school, you would learn the Chinese language so that you could speak it fluently without a trace of an accent. And after studying the traditions of China and watching films of Chinese physical characteristics, you could duplicate those mannerisms to a T. You might even undergo some plastic surgery, have your face changed so that you would look more Chinese. And then you would enter chi- communist China and be welcomed as one of them. You would then do everything in the way that the Chinese people do them. There would be no difference. Nothing would be noticeable. And as far as anyone in China was concerned, you were Chinese, but you would not be Chinese. Nope. You you don't even have Chinese parents. Nothing can change who you are even though outwardly you may change, you're still who you are. And that's us spiritually. We may talk and dress like a Christian, but are we a Christian? We may attend Christian organizations. We may sing songs. We may act a certain way, but is it really, really true that you are who you say you are and that you're a Christian? by your actions, by your words, by what you read, by what you watch. Verse 3, Jesus challenges Nicodemus. He ignores the compliments and the platitudes, and he goes right to the heart of Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus that his religion isn't sufficient to save his soul. And then he begins to talk about the new birth. It's a natural illustration, birth. It's a universal experience. Everybody's experienced birth. You were not found under a rock or a cabbage leaf or whatever was said by you. You weren't found on the, on the front porch in a basket. <clears throat> There's only one basket guy that I know, and he floated down the Nile. <laughs> <laughs> 
But there was something different about the birth that Jesus is talking about here. He talks about the nature of the new birth. He uses the word again, meaning from a higher place, referring to things which come from God alone. Man cannot accomplish it. It's a work of God and none other. Then he talks about the necessity of the new birth when he uses the word except. It's an imperative word. It literally means that a person has no other choices when it comes to salvation. You either come God's way or you don't come. It's that simple. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found by no other man except through Jesus Christ. You're not going to get there any other way. can't buy it, hope it, good it, live it, serve it. You've got to respond to Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, verse 4 is the confession, excuse me, not the confession, but the confusion of Nicodemus. He didn't understand what Jesus was actually teaching him. He thought Jesus was referring to returning into his mother's womb, a thing that would be absolutely impossible to do. And there's many who do not understand the plan of salvation. When someone tries to think about it in human terms, it makes absolutely no sense. And when we try to force God's Word to change so that it accommodates us, we get in trouble. Verses 5 through 13, then Jesus clarifies what he meant by new birth. It involves both water and the Spirit. One birth involving two elements, water and the Spirit. It's not two births, born of water and born of Spirit. It's one, born of water and the Spirit. There's a connection. In Titus 3, 5... Paul said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So see, it's a washing of regeneration, and then it's a renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now this water here is, some say, does not refer to baptism. I don't see how you can get away from that. Because when you translate the Greek phrase, born of water... It, refer, it refers to the token or outward sign of baptism. And when you look at the Greek phrase, born of spirit, uh, it, the thing that signifies it's an inward grace of the Holy Spirit. And all attempts to get rid of these two plain facts will come from doctrinal prejudices that people already have before they come to that passage. So we need to be careful about that. The new birth occurs when one is baptized, for in that simple act of faith, they're born not only of the water out of which they arise, but also born of the Spirit, regenerated by the working of God at that moment. It's a confusing thing. But I've always taught you that it's a process. You're going to hear the Word, and that word, hearing that Word is going to convict your heart. And when it convicts your heart, then you're going to want to know what you need to do about the conviction you feel in your heart. And Acts 2.38 says, repent. That's the first place you start. It doesn't say baptism, then repent. It says repent. I'm going to turn and do a different way. I'm going to deal with this pricking of my heart. And then be baptized in the name of Jesus. 
for the forgiveness of sin, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See the process? It's a process. One alone won't save you. Baptism alone won't save you. Hearing won't save you. Confession won't save you. Um, only, only the connection of all of it together. So you have the water and the Spirit, and then also salvation involves the Word of God. One is born again by the Word, the incorruptible Word that's preached, the instrument through which the Spirit convicts the sinner. That We talked about that heart-pricking it includes the command to be baptized. The Word of God does. Jesus sanctifies and cleanses His church by the washing of water by the Word. Baptism must be administered in conjunction with the Word for it to be of any benefit. If you don't have the Word guiding you and following the precepts of the Word of God, what good is it? What good is life? What, what good is what you do as a Christian if you're not following the Word of God and doing what it teaches? Now, verses 6 through 7 deal with the imperative of the new birth. In verse 6, it makes it clear that there's a difference in what is produced by the action of the new birth. When a sinner is redeemed, they literally become a new creation according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creature ready then for heaven. So if you were to die that moment, you're in heaven. You're a new creature ready to be there. That's exciting. When I baptized Earl, we came up out of the swimming pool over at Kim and Peggy's house. I said, how are you feeling? He said, man, I feel good. I said, sorry, I can't do anything about your outside. But we just cleaned up the inside. And that's really what happens, Amen. Your inside changes. And what happens from the inside is your outside changes too because people begin to see a difference in you. Your demeanor, all of that. And it's really important that we recognize that when Christ is in us, people will see it. A medical missionary was leaving by ship for a foreign field and the famous... Andrew Bonar of Scotland came to the pier to bid farewell to his friend only to discover that the doctor was to be accompanied by his sister and turning to her he said, My dear, I don't believe I've ever had the privilege of making your acquaintance. I'm pleased that you're going as your brother's assistant and I'd like to remember you in my prayers. What is your name? Christine was her reply. Oh, I like that, he said. For you have Christ in your name. I trust you also have him in your heart. Well, she looked away and was silent for a moment before she could think of an answer. The last call to board the ocean liner was given. Convicted by Bonar's words, she began to think about her relationship to the Lord. And although she went to church regularly, she suddenly realized that she was not truly saved and had never actually become a new creature in Christ. Well, that night... She responded to the Lord and became a new creature in Him. You see, it can be that simple. Just one spoken word, one spoken encouragement can cause a person to be pricked in the heart enough to want to make a change, to turn over a new leaf, to walk a different path, and it becomes obvious. In verse 7, 
the new birth is not an option. It's not an option. There's no plan B to get to heaven. It's only through Christ. Now, verses 8 through 13, we see the imagery of the new birth. Jesus uses the image of the wind, describing it as uh, kind of like the action of the Spirit. You, you hear it, you feel it, the movement is there, but you can't see it. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit is. Can you tell me for sure you felt the Holy Spirit tug you? I can. I can tell you when the Holy Spirit has tugged me. I can tell you when the Holy Spirit has pushed me. I can tell you when the Holy Spirit has prompted me. Can't you? Oh, yes, you can. And if you can't, you might want to get closer to God than you are right now. You're slipping. Get back to the Lord where you belong. Kind of reminds me of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37. The wind blew over them, and boy, these bones became life. So when the Spirit of God blows over us, great things happen. Amen? I pray all the time for the wind, fresh wind of the Spirit of God to blow in our church. And wake up a few folks. They might be surprised what might happen if they woke up. So we've had the conversation now, very quickly, the commentary, verses 14 through 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And here's verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. It, this, these verses are an effort to clear the mud up in Nicodemus' mind. Jesus is explaining very briefly, very thoroughly, what he had just said about being born again. Verse 14, it's a shadow from the past. He uses the illustration from Numbers 21 of the serpent. Remember the story? Snakes were everywhere. They were biting people and they were dying. And so God instructed Moses to raise up a serpent on a stick. And when the people would be bitten, if they looked at the stick, they were saved. That was a precursor for the raising of the Savior on the cross. And when you're bitten by sin, you look to the cross to find salvation. You see how simple that is? And then in verse 16... Jesus became a sacrifice for sin. And he tells us right there in that verse that God's only begotten Son came and died so that we could all live. Anybody can receive that gift. Anybody. Poor guys, rich guys, ugly guys, pretty guys. Everybody can find Him. Even the politicians in Washington, they can find Him. I don't know if they ever will, but they can if it's politically expedient, they'll find Jesus. <laughs> but verse 16 is such a critical verse for us because in it, it tells us that the door is open for anybody who wants to come. Now verses 15 and 16, he gives a simple plan of salvation. He tells Nicodemus that the key to receiving salvation is simple as believing that Jesus is who he says he is and then responding to him in the right way. Religion tries to add stuff to it. Religion says you've got to do more stuff in order to make your life complete and to make your salvation complete. When the real essence of salvation is you do one thing, that's accept Jesus as your Savior. And then you follow through that belief 
with baptism. And then you follow that baptism with rising to walk in a new life that's noticeable and people see it. Couldn't be any simpler, could it? Isaiah, Isaiah said it that way in 45:22. Jesus said it that way in John 6:47. Peter said it, excuse me, Paul said it that way in Acts 16:31. After 2,000 years, nothing has changed. Sinners are still saved by simply believing in Jesus and then coming to Him in faith and responding to Him, being baptized to rise to walk in a new life. Time after time after time, you see it. In verse 16 also, it's whosoever will. Whosoever will come to find Jesus. And then in verse 17, there's a solemn promise. To perish means that you're given over to the eternal misery of hell. But when you respond to Jesus and are saved, that means you're to be kept safe and sound to rescue you from all harm and danger. Heaven is your home. Heaven is your destiny. And apart from Jesus, the sinner can expect nothing less than eternal hell. The saint, on the other hand, has the deep, settled assurance that God will save him. Can you know for sure that you're saved? Yes, 1 John 5.13 says that. My children, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to, well, I'm not sure. You can know. And He wants you to live that way. So we've seen the conversation, quick commentary, and then an even quicker condemnation in verses 18 through 21. Let's read them together. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Verse 18. According to that verse, the Bible plainly says that a sinner, that a sinner is already condemned in the mind of God. God's mind is made up related to the sinner. If you are going to reject God, you are lost. Well, boy, that's kind of cruel, isn't it? No, He's given you all the opportunity you can to come to Christ. Come on! You're the one putting it off. You're the one staying back. You're the one that's refusing to come. In verses 19 then through 21, the sinner has no one to blame for the condition they find themselves than the person in the mirror. If you want to stay lost, just keep doing what you're doing. If you want to be found and have an assurance of salvation, then repent, come to Christ, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then watch your life change dramatically. Watch your life change dramatically. So if you continue to put it off, you have only yourself to blame. But wouldn't today be a great day for you to Get it right with God. I would suspect I'm preaching to the choir here this morning. And everybody in this room has made that profession of faith in Christ. But maybe you need to get back in a more solid position with Him. We can do that through prayer. 
And so as we sing our hymn of invitation, if you just need to pray, pray. Uh, we have a cross up front. If, if you feel led to come to the cross to pray, you just come do that. Uh, nobody will bother you. Nobody will look down at you. But make a decision some of some kind today, either a decision of renewal. I'm going to stay with you, God. I'm not going to ever give up on you. Maybe for the first time. There might be somebody here for the first time who would respond. I don't know what need you have, but if you do, we want you to respond. Let's pray together, then we'll sing our hymn of invitation. Father, I thank you so much for these that are here today, and I pray that you'll bless each and every person uh, as they contemplate these next few moments, how they can get closer to you. Perhaps they've slid a little bit. The great news is if we'll just but look, you'll come running to us. Maybe there's one in this room that just says, I don't know you as my Savior. They'll respond. There may be another one who just just needs prayer. God, would you give us a chance to pray for them? Whatever decision they have to make, would you encourage them in their spirit, in their hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to sing great song. I need thee every hour. Respond to God if you need to today.